0: Hey, I'm Sean.
1: And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver.
0: Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM
1: thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing.
0: So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey, folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of uh, Vancouver. Today. We're not talking to anybody. We're just talking to each other because I've been on vacation for two weeks and it's kind of hard to record episodes when uh, when you're on vacation.
1: Yeah, and I was on vacation for a week. I think just before you left which made it extra hard to get another episode in there but there's a bunch of D news that's come out in the last couple of months and uh, other tabletop stuff too and uh, we figured we'd talk about that for a bit
0: yeah and the first one is the biggest one the pathfinder 2e playtest launched at i think it launched at gen con and uh people are talking about it and i've taken a little bit of a look into uh into what's going on um tried to download the rule book but it did not work oh uh, really yeah the the uh i don't know if it's just the the site or if there's too many people trying and it's just going crazy but uh when i try to download the rule book oh yeah if, when i do it live on when we're recording it finally works that's that's awesome thanks paizo <laughs> but um yeah there's a bunch of people talking about it and what's going on there and uh From what I've heard, uh, people are mostly pretty excited. There's a couple of people who are uh, not super happy about it, but uh, for the most part, what I've heard has been pretty positive. And uh, one of the things that I've seen pointed out all over the place is how Paizo is taking a stand, kind of like how um, Wizards of the Coast is. Wizards of the Coast has been doing some pretty cool stuff with, uh, with regards to... I don't know what the best term for it is, but stuff like, you know, they they've gotten the rule books for for five E stuff like, you know, you can play, you know, your character can be whatever age, gender, race, religion, sexual orientation and stuff like that. And and Paizo is doing something similar, which is uh, pretty fantastic, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think credit where it's due, Paizo has been doing that for a long, long time. Um, it's not just with the playtest; it's something that they've had uh, like throughout their uh, main storylines and adventure modules and stuff like that. Lots of inclusivity and stuff like
0: that. Oh, that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool, actually. If you like look into all the stuff they've put in.
0: One of the things that I, I do I do want to go over really quickly though is the I've I've looked at third like I I, I never really played third or three point five for D anD. d I played like one game i think like way back in high school um and never played again and uh i never played fourth edition i haven't played pathfinder i've got the pathfinder beginners box and i think it's because my entire experience with role-playing games has been uh like even when i wasn't playing i had a couple of rule books but it was for like vampire the masquerade and and uh the uh the games Games Workshop had a kind of like 75% role-playing game, 25% tabletop game that was Inquisitor. And and most of the games that I've been playing now, like DD5E and Fate, and I'm just looking up at my games and you know Star Wars and <laughs> Eclipse Phase and all of those games, they're they're definitely all on the crunch light side of things you know like oh, either okay. you play with just a, a d10 or like fate dice or just d6s like the rules that, for the games that i've been playing have been pretty simple and so when i see pathfinder when i look back at at 3.5 and i see pathfinder and and now the second edition of pathfinder it it feels v- very crunchy it feels like you know what i've seen from pathfinder and the second edition is like crunch personified like i saw somebody had tweeted an image of of what of what your perception bonus is in pathfinder 2e and it was like 10 different numbers that you had to add together and some of them were pretty much static they were based on your your character like your your wisdom bonus and your a perception modifier and like a couple of other things that would be on your character sheet, but also things that the GM would have to know, like as like when they ask for a perception, perception role, like, Oh, you're going to have a plus two situation bonus because of this thing. And it just, the games that I've played because they're so rules light, it felt like I, as the GM had so much more freedom because I didn't have to remember all of these things and keep them in my head. I could focus on, The story and 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 what was going on rather than having to remember like oh okay well when they're in this room they're going to have a plus two bonus to these things because there's candles and a fire and stuff like that and i guess i'm just curious what your thoughts are on on those kind of games where and specifically these the this latest version of pathfinder where it's very crunchy rules
1: so um with the right up front saying i haven't read through the rule book i downloaded it last night and have like briefly glanced through it um but i'm looking at the character sheet right now and it doesn't look terror actually terribly complicated it's definitely more complicated than 5e um but like i mean i i came in playing fourth edition um which granted we had a character builder there's an official character builder that kind of uh, made a lot of the math easier because it's like did the math for you ahead of time. But uh, it doesn't look too bad, really. Like I'm seeing wisdom, uh, proficiency, and item, and then I'm seeing a section, and this is where my uh, ignorance of what the rules actually are kind of gets in the way that says T-E-M-L. So it sounds like you get your standard stuff, you know, your ability score, your proficiency, an item that boosts it, and then four conditional things that I'm assuming can be, that's what I'm assuming they are, that can be broken up. Uh, and you know it's already on the sheet you already have it it's not like you have to make up the number or look up the number um while you're at the table so it doesn't seem too bad and you know like crunchy games can be really intimidating and they're they're not my preference either i do i like one of the reasons i like five ed a lot is that it's a lot simpler and a lot easier to play uh as opposed to fourth ed or sorry to pick up and play as opposed to fourth ed which was Uh, way more involved you know i think it's one of those things that once you start playing it and you play it for a while you get used to it just just like everything right because when you're a new player and you're coming into 5e even you look at it and it looks pretty complicated and it's you know it is until you start playing it for a little bit and then you're like oh right this is actually kind of straightforward
0: yeah for sure i think one of the things is that i think role playing has exploded in these last couple of years and i think a big part of that is is the number of people doing actual plays and podcasts and stuff like critical role and and uh, the adventure zone making it so that people got a glimpse into what role playing can be and how how much fun it is and i guess my concern is they like i don't know anybody that i could sit down with because like I feel like most people, when they get into role-playing games, if you if you don't know anybody, then that already plays the the system that you want to play, then it's a much steeper investment that you have to make into, you know, reading the rules, understanding the rules, understanding how the game works, how it plays, and all that stuff. Especially if there aren't any uh, any games that any shows or anything like, if somebody wants to understand how Fifth Edition works, they can. Uh, watch Critical Role or any of the other numerous other shows that are probably out there uh, to get an understanding of how it works. And when you don't have super in-depth rules, it's easier to pick up a game if you don't have somebody there to show you how it works. And you can you know, pick it up from watching uh, shows on YouTube and whatnot. But the deeper the rules are, the harder I feel like it would be to get into a game if you if you've never played anything like that before and with role-playing becoming so widespread i guess i'm just kind of wondering where paizo's head is at with because my understanding from what i've seen people reviewing it on on twitter and whatnot is that the game is a little bit more complicated than the first edition of pathfinder is so i'm just wondering how they're expecting to get the people who have never played a role-playing game before, how they're going to get those people into Pathfinder 2nd Edition.
1: Well, and I I don't know that that's the intent, right? Like, the 1st Edition of Pathfinder was very much aimed at people who didn't care for 4th Edition and who, like, likes 3.5 but still wanted some new content. It's why people refer to it as 3.75 all the time so i don't know that their goal is necessarily getting beginner players but i think at this point you're also got a bunch of people who've been playing 5e um and i feel like this some, sometimes and they just they just want a bit more crunch to it and i think that's what this is actually for people who've been playing you know because 5e's been out for what is it like almost three years now four years yeah it's been a while um and it's brought in all these new people. And some of those people are going to, you know, it makes sense, get a bit tired of uh, one system and maybe want to try something that's a bit more complicated or a bit more customizable. And that's, that's what I've always heard from people who like Pathfinder a lot, like uh, our, our friend Ray who's come on the show, like he runs a Pathfinder game. And part of the reason he likes Pathfinder is it's more customizable, right? You can Like two people can build a third level fighter, and they can be completely different mechanically. And this looks like it's kind of building on that. I'm just looking at the 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 class page for monks here, and it looks like there's you know there's lots of stuff going on. And I don't I don't know necessarily if like you automatically get the different feats or you choose them or how that all works. But uh, I could definitely see people who'd be like, okay, yeah, you know what I want to I want to go into this because you know, I, I'm getting something new for my character, every level I'm not just like a proficiency bonus or something like that. And then there are a bunch of optional feats that I can take that are just for my class. And then there are more general feats and all that kind of stuff. Like I could, I could see me playing this if I had more time to actually play stuff. uh, And if I could find somebody who'd want to run it for (laughs) me, but like, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Like it is harder to get people into a game that's complex when it's not already like got a bunch of, you know, podcasts out that are people playing it or actual plays or, or actual plays are podcasts. What am I talking about? Or, um, or um, like Twitch shows or whatever. But like the other thing is give it a month and there's going to be six or seven, probably pretty good shows talking about the second like second e and how to play it and stuff like that like that there's already at this point uh like a an infrastructure i guess of people who talk about games and how they work and how to play them like it's what we do right who will be covering this and maybe covering it in like great detail um and you know they might even be sponsored by paizo or something like that so they're getting sent the books for free so they can look through them and not have to worry about you know cost if they want physical copies
0: yeah that makes sense and i think i guess i'm just still like uh, the idea of the way pathfinder works i'm still kind of i'm not sure it's ever a game that i'd ever really want to get into because i've heard because my my thing is like I, i really like the way that fifth edition works with you hit often but you're doing less damage because it's more about that thrill of like constantly like you're you always feel like you're 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 accomplishing something even if you're not doing a lot you always feel like you're accomplishing something and that's because of 5e's idea of of bounded accuracy so that you never have to worry about cool i have a plus 15 to hit you know at level four but i'm going to miss 80% 80% of my attacks because the AC gets up into the 30s and 40s and stuff like that. So I'm curious to see what Pathfinder 2E does for stuff like that and what what they've picked and chosen from, from other role-playing games to make Pathfinder better. Um, but that's enough about Pathfinder, I think, for now.
1: Yeah. Um. Let's talk about the Waterdeep books that they okay. announced.
0: I know nothing about it.
1: So I... Okay, well, I I have uh, watched several videos and and read some articles back when they were first announced, so I'm going to be kind of racking my brain a little bit back. But basically, they've announced uh, two new adventure books, uh, both set in Waterdeep. Uh, The first one is called Dragon Heist. I believe it's for like 1 to 6th level or something like that. Um, And, or sorry, 1 to 5. And so the thing I think is really cool about uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist is that it's it's low level and it's built in a way that there are, the villains are meant to be avoided rather than fought. So you're going up, up against, like, for example, Xanathar is one of the villains. You know, even a really powerful fifth level character is going to have a lot of trouble against a very powerful beholder. Um, and so the idea with Dragon Heist, and what I think is really cool from a design perspective, is that they've, Made it so when you start the game, you choose what season the game is taking place in. So you know if it's winter, summer, spring, fall. Okay, so that's that's interesting. What does that do to the game? Well, depending on what season you're playing in, at least as far as I've heard in some of the interviews and stuff, depending on the season you're playing in, the villain changes. And there are they are a bunch of I think, from my understanding, iconic kind of water deep villains either from the book, various books, or previous. Uh, published adventures or whatever and it can change the way players would go about playing the adventure even if it's the same general heist that they're doing
0: okay that's pretty cool
1: yeah like it's uh, i like it because potentially you could take the same four players through it four times and have different experiences based on who the villains are
0: that's that's an interesting idea because that's i think one of the things that any role-playing supplement whether it's a, a module or a short adventure or anything like that that as a gm if you want like if you've spent a bunch of money on a book and you want to run it and then you get all the way through it and depending on how long it is and how quick how often your your group plays like you could get through some modules maybe in a couple of months or maybe it'll take you a couple of years because you only play like once every two months or something but as a dm like i've the reason why i haven't picked up any of the modules is i don't want to spend money on something that i'm only going to use once like the, the rule books are different because i'm always going back to those and looking at those and trying to get ideas from the various magic items and how could i use them or how could i modify them or you know monsters and how could i use them and modify them etc cetera, etc cetera. but when it comes to like an adventure module it feels like on the one hand they're a little bit restrictive because you know if your players go completely off the rails you know it's i think most groups would agree to be like okay we're playing a module we can't do go too crazy we can't go to another continent because that's not part of this module but once you're done the module then you've got a book that like i don't know many DMs that at least like this is based on my experience and some of the people that we've talked to it seems like most DMs have have their group, the group that they play with, over and over and over again, uh, either because they're doing a really long campaign like I'm in, or because they'll do, you know, they do they'll do adventure modules, but they they don't do the same one over and over again. They'll do one and then they'll move on to the next one, or or do a different game system or something. So having a, a module that from the get go you could play more than once with the same group is is pretty awesome i think and the idea that you could play have this you know long campaign set in a single city across the seasons is pretty neat
1: yeah and like i i don't know that it's built to go across the seasons i kind of think it's they're all kind of one to five this heist and then you could play it as a group of different characters with the same players or with a group of different players but the other thing I really like is if it's only level one to five, that means it's not going to take you months to play it. True. Um, and that's, that's kind of the big thing for me. I don't have a consistent game group that plays every week right now. So me wanting to turn around and go, okay, well let's run uh storm King's thunder or something like that. It is not super reasonable because just, you know, we're not going to play it often enough. Um, and like, I think a point, at least in favor of the the books they've come out, is they all have unique settings, and I think a lot of them have you know monsters for that setting and stuff like that. So they're almost kind of a setting guide as well as an adventure, which is not nothing. Um, but like I, I like the idea of a shorter official water or water deep module. Um, and then the other cool thing is that it leads into the other adventure book, which, uh, Sean, you might be interested in this, is a Mega Dungeon. Oh, cool. So uh, it's uh, called, the next book is called Waterdeep, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And it's essentially a, uh, a remake of an older old advent, adventure called Undermountain, um, which is home, domain of a mad wizard. Um, and it's, it's, it's a Mega Dungeon. It's just a huge, huge dungeon located under Waterdeep. And it changes, and I think they've designed it so that uh, with the idea that DMs might add parts to the dungeon in mind.
0: Okay, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so this dungeon has 23 levels. Um, and it's granted, it's meant to take you from fifth level to 20th, right? it's This is one of their longer kind of campaign style of dungeons. Yeah. So I imagine that there are also like many smaller kind of Threats in it and all this other stuff. And it's, it's apparently designed to feel like a living dungeon, which I think is super cool. Um, and the other thing I like about it, kind of tying back into, or I don't know if this is particularly in the book, but tying back into Dragon Heist is if you're going from Dragon Heist right into Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And, you know, I was talking about how you have to kind of avoid whatever the villains are in Dragon Heist because they're meant to be too powerful for you to deal with. Well, you know, maybe you go through the dungeon of the mad mage for a couple of while uh, a little while build up power and then your characters are like okay we couldn't deal with xanathar before but we're gonna go and take that guy out
0: okay that's pretty cool yeah going back to the idea of uh modules meant for levels one to five i recently received something that i had backed on kickstarter the the hidden halls of hazakor which is uh, it's an adventure for first level characters, and I think it takes you takes you through a couple of levels. But the thing that I also really like about it is that it's for beginning game masters as well. Like it's aimed at a group of people who haven't played Fifth Edition before, who want to get into it, but you know they've already listened to maybe the Adventure Zone or they've already watched a couple of actual plays, and they don't want to rehash the Beginner's Box and uh it's i've had a little bit of time to to look over it and it's a well thought out book uh it's got some some great maps and some fantastic art and i think it's the kind of thing that i might take a look at and see if i can uh figure out how to adapt it to do at a at a convention because these kind of like first level adventure things are this one i think is definitely like it's definitely too long but there's probably bits and pieces that i could take and modify to create a an abbreviated campaign but i think that this is the kind of thing that now that fifth edition is kind of i have no idea what the lifespan of the typical tabletop role-playing game is like but it's nice that there's stuff like this coming out stuff that's aimed at beginning game masters and brand new players with the goal of getting more people into the hobby and i think that's that's fantastic. Well, and I think
1: uh, to that point, like products like this are really good because they're they're still bringing new players into this thing that's already existed, which potentially expands the lifespan of the edition. Because like, I like fifth edition a lot. I, there are issues that I have with it, but a, a lot of that can be holding brewed away. But I, I see people talking about every once in a while online, like, oh, well, is sixth edition coming soon? It's been about you know five years or whatever the average lifespan of an edition of D&D is it's like, well, if we don't need to make one, maybe don't do it. <laughs> um, and like the difference between 5th ed and 4th ed and from what I understand 3.5 is those previous editions had a lot of bloat, like a lot of new stuff, like new classes, new feats, new spells, new monsters all came out pretty quickly compared to how it's going with 5e. And so you got to the point where the game was now kind of, a mess or kind of unbalanced because there is all of this stuff.
0: Yeah, I've seen pictures of people who are, you know, who have found a, a treasure trove of 3.5 or 4e books and you know, they've got all four monster manual books and, you know, the 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 four books that you kind of need so that you you've got all of the player's handbooks and, you know, the DM's guide and all the extra stuff for the DM's guide and and it feels like looking looking back like I thought that that was stuff that had come out over the course of the, like the entire lifetime of the edition. And I know for 3.5, that was kind of mostly the case from what I understand, but just thinking about like at the end of it's, well, I mean, people still play 3.5, but when, when wizard of the coast did fourth edition, like it felt like if you had all of the core books that had been released, you had an entire shelf on your bookshelf dedicated to 3.5 just for, rules and classes and spells and items and that that feels pretty nuts because like i've bought the i don't have the the latest um the morden cannons foes or whatever it's called
1: it's very good
0: i don't have that one yet but i've got all of the other ones and that's six books that are sitting on my shelf six or seven books like it's not a lot
1: i want to uh pull your mind a little bit so 3.5 came out in 2003 fourth edition came out in 2008 so that's five years when ray lived here and this was after he stopped playing 3.5 i think he had about 15 3.5 books jesus um because there were setting books there were additional classes there was epic handbook there was like books on the deities and all these things are really useful but it's also a lot yeah and as a dm it becomes really hard to keep track of all the character options and how they work from all of those books and if for example one of your players picks up the martial handbook which has a bunch of extra martial feats and you're not familiar with them and they don't leave it at wherever you guys are playing you know they, they bring it when they come over to play it gets difficult to keep track of those things
0: yeah and that's one of the things like I haven't picked up the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, I haven't picked up any of the modules, but from from what I've seen, aside from the Sword Coast Adventure Guide, it seems like they're doing most of their setting stuff, at least in the uh, uh, what is it? What is the main setting for fifth edition called?
1: Um, um, yeah, Forgotten Realms.
0: Forgotten Realms, yeah, it seems like they're doing most of the setting stuff for Forgotten Realms outside of the Sword Coast Adventure Guide, they're doing it in the modules, which I think is pretty great
1: speaking of settings <laughs> you kind of segued us nicely into the next thing i want to talk about there are new settings coming okay um so there the are two new settings coming they've announced them recently uh one is getting a full like hardcover book i think in november and that's the Guildmaster's guide to ravnica uh, ravnica is a magic the gathering setting that they've made into they a fifth edition setting
0: i've i've heard a bunch uh, like i've heard a bunch of the i've seen a bunch of the announcements i haven't heard a bunch i've seen a bunch of the announcements and i i've played magic the gathering i very obviously play D &D and i think this is fantastic because i know a little bit of the lore of magic the gathering and i think it's a a fantastic opportunity for people to explore something quite a bit different than forgotten realms
1: yeah and ravnica what, what makes ravnica really cool and part of the reason i'm fond of it is there are um there are all of these guilds. Like Ravnica is a city, and I I'm not sure if it's like covers the whole planet. I'm not super familiar with the entire mythos of it, right? But there are a bunch of guilds, and, and in magic, they're all tied to two elements. So you know, each one has two elements. Um, so the thing I've always been fond of is that one of the guilds is called Boros, which is of course my last name. <laughs> But uh, it's, you know, it's an interesting setting, and when you start off a game in it, um, it basically, I think, I'm not entirely positive, but what I think they're going to do is basically the backgrounds for people who play in the Ravnica setting are going to be with these guilds. And then those guilds are going to have lists of allies, like which guilds they work against, which guilds they'll never agree with, and all of this stuff, which makes for a really interesting backstory that can inform player characters from the get-go. And I think it would be an interesting world to play around in. Now I'm not sure I'll pick up the book myself because I uh, I tend to run homebrew anyway, but I would definitely be interested in playing a game if somebody were to offer to run it for me.
0: Okay, and you said that there were two setting books. What's the other one?
1: Yes, the other is Everon. Now uh, Everon uh, it came out in 3.5 originally. It was actually created as part of a like a contest to develop a new setting for D&D. It was designed by a guy named Keith Baker. It's kind of like a swashbuckling, pulpy, like high fantasy setting. Um, It's where the Warforged come from. It's where the Artificer classes come from. Uh, Shifters also came from there. They were kind of part of 4th Edge for a bit. Uh, It's a cool setting. uh, And part of the reason I was so excited about this announcement is that a few weeks before they made it, I started playing in an Hebron game, <laughs> um, so it's it's kind of one of those settings where it's set off to kind of be you know either you're doing kind of a noir themed game or maybe some like more swashbuckling because there's like airships and all that kind of stuff. It's very uh, it's it's very dungeon punk, right? It's got more technology. It's got like uh, there's something called the lightning train, I think, or the lightning rail, which is essentially like a fast light rail kind of thing that can take you around the world it's it's a really neat idea um, and uh, D beyond has released a bunch of videos where they interviewed keith baker and uh, like mike merles and all of those people about the setting um, so that came out it's already out on the dms guild uh, for 20 dollars, and i i haven't read it yet because i'm not playing in my game for a few more weeks due to uh my DM is an artist uh named Molly Applejohn who's going to a bunch of conventions. So she's obviously too busy to run it right now. But we're coming back, I think, at the end of August, and I'm really excited about it. Cool. And uh yeah, and so I think I was telling you earlier, Sean, it, it's it's a living document, right? So they're going to be since it's on the DMs guild, one of the things that affords them nicely is if they notice, oh, you know what, maybe this is a little bit broken, we'll we'll adjust it. You know, if you buy it once, you own it and you own all later edits of it. So, you know, you pick it up and you look at it and you're like, oh, you know, maybe I won't allow the Warforge to have every tool as part of just part of their physical being or one of the tools part of their physical being. You know, maybe you come back a few months later and they're like, okay, well, we have a new edition. We've rebalanced the Warforge and the changelings and all this stuff. It's, uh, I think it's really neat. I, I have seen people complaining that it's kind of like a, a pre release to a video game when like, uh, something's coming out on steam or whatever. Um, and I, I that, you know, there, there might be some merit to that argument, but I, I think it's really neat. And you know, you don't have to buy the book if you uh, don't want it.
0: Okay. What's up next? Uh, fairy fire,
1: fairy fire. So uh fairy fire is a, let me just pull it up here. fairy fire was a book I, I kickstarted and Haley was actually uh, an artist on. And it, it was, Made by uh, three people who live locally. Um, one of them we've had on the, the podcast, Malcolm Wilson. It's a very cool book. It's a, illustrated in a way that's like specifically reminiscent of like '80s kind of '80s and '90s like neon kind of color palette. Okay. And it's all Feywild stuff. Um, the digital version of the book just came out. You can get that at Gumroad on Gumroad. And you know, I backed it, so I got it, and it's it's a really gorgeous book. Uh, I'm really excited to get our hardcovers of it. Uh, It's what 152 pages. It's got 50 new character or 50 new creatures from CR one quarter to 19. uh, New player options, and it also includes a module. Um, And you know, it's a really neat book. They it's an anthology kind of art book as well. They've got a bunch of different artists in it. It's definitely worth a look. Uh, I I'm really excited to play some of the classes for it. I'm trying to convince one of my friends to run the adventure in it in the back, or maybe if I get really lucky, I'll somehow convince Malcolm to run it for me. (laughs) But um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's a neat book. It's all the, the PDF for it's only 20 bucks. I would definitely check it out if you're looking for some new character options, or if you want to run like a specifically fey set campaign, it's got like a whole fake original fake court and a bunch of cool stuff like that.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. And I think to, to wrap up, let's, uh, let's chat about our games. What's been going on in, uh, in the game that you're in What uh, and I'll talk a little bit about the game that I've been running.
1: Uh, so the game I'm in, uh, we talked to Haley a couple of months ago after she had run her first session and she had kind of took up DMing for me and I rolled up a new, a new character and became a player. Uh, So she finished that adventure. Uh, It went really well. We now have a flying tower, which is wonderful, since we're playing kind of a a more fun, high fantasy game anyway. And I I like, in those styles of game, I like my players to have a way that they can get around quicker than on foot. Um, So I can kind of just put them wherever I want and not have to worry so much about like one distinct setting (laughs) because I'm kind of lazy sometimes. (laughs) Uh, she finished running that a few weeks ago. We, we play about once a month or so. So next weekend, actually, after we record this, I'm going to be running, uh, I think, what was supposed to be a one shot, but might become like a two or three session arc based on a song by the distillers because I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, that's going to be interesting. I still have to start writing it, but I ha- I'm going to have a few days off next week. Uh, as I transition between jobs, so I'm gonna have time to like sit down and actually put like a whole day into it. Okay, and uh, I'm excited. I'm uh, the players are eighth level, I don't think I'm gonna give them a level up yet. I'm gonna give uh, one, one thing we learned from uh, Haley running this this uh, flying tower camp or adventure was that uh, we're a mostly spellcaster party, so it's not too bad, but whenever we put the party against anything that has mag- uh, like resistance to non magical stuff the barbarian is just not useful anymore. (laughs) So, um, and since the nature of our campaign is it very much time skips between whichever adventures, I'm going to have them have acquired a magic item for her character. Just, just because, you know, it's no fun if, she's going up against elementals all the time or anything with resistance and just can't do it yeah. right since her character is a robot i think i'm going to make it essentially a lightsaber version of an axe that is powered by her own body basically <laughs> so it'll essentially be a magic item that only she can use or maybe i would maybe argue that like other constructs might be able to and i think it's going to do uh you know it's going to have plus 1 to Attacks and damage, and it'll probably do force damage instead of just like regular damage.
0: It's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's neat. I came up, I came up with it with her in a few minute conversation when she was around a few weeks ago. Sean, tell me a bit about about your campaign.
0: So, I think the last time that I talked about the game, I was I was saying that the players had come back to a city, the the main city on the continent. It was under siege. Um, they have since dealt with that. They've uh, they killed two young black dragons and uh did uh did some damage to the uh, the adult black dragon but uh nearly lost a party member and uh nearly accidentally ended that campaign when one of them fell off of a tower while holding an orb of annihilation (laughs) that was a fun dice roll (laughs) and they managed to track down the the big bad guy and they stopped him from uh, pulling off a spell that would have brought something huge and horrible into the world. I hadn't quite figured out what it was going to be, but I just knew that the players have a pretty good chance of stopping this. So I don't need to worry about it too much. And uh, my players, there was some really nice role playing where basically the big bad when he died, he um, used the like last of his life force to summon a... Uh, Summoned a demon, and I think it was a like a pit fiend, like something that was over leveled for them. And I had specifically designed this the end of this encounter to be a moment of wonder because what happened was that the the family, the the deities in this in this homebrew world sent a celestial to to protect them and aid them as kind of a like the the deities are a you know kind of a little bit out of the picture, but the they felt that this you know the the vanguard as this uh as my players have named their their party um that they deserved some help and so the gods sent a celestial to help them out and this celestial told them to run and he would take care of this devil but they stayed and helped helped fight even though this was a creature that you know with a a single attack you know i think it had i think it was a pit fiend or something like it's a level like a cr of like 18 or 20 or something and they're a party of five i think they're at ninth level so very much out of their out of their weight class but they um you know despite this thing doing you know with its multi-attack where it attacks four times like it i think is the first time that the barbarian was actually like oh jesus this thing is dangerous we need to get out of here and they're all like no we can we can do this we can help the this celestial out and they actually managed to defeat the 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 demon or the devil i can't remember which one it was but uh so that was that was an interesting bit of uh of of role-playing in a in the middle of a battle that they were supposed to run away from and uh they've they're currently uh exploring an ancient wizard's tower because they're trying to find what is basically a macguffin but i'm really excited about this because it's giving me an opportunity to really explore what is possible with roll 20, because what I've done is there are multiple levels to this wizard's tower because it's a wizard who built this place. He doesn't like walking around a little, uh, very much. He doesn't like stairs. He's not going to use ladders. So he's got portals. Like there's on the floor in specific places. There are, uh glyphs on the ground that he's uh, enchanted they look like they're they're basically like little teleport pads. and when you step on one it brings you uh it takes you to the next portal and uh on each floor there's a chain of portals and there's one portal that leads to the next floor um some of the portals are broken i mean this this tower is like uh, almost a thousand years old. Some of the magic is has died, so some of the portals don't work anymore. More specifically, the ones that bring you dip back down to the previous level. So, what is really great about Roll Twenty is that I've got a script that you can, because uh, in in Roll Twenty, there's multiple layers when you're looking at at the at the screen. Okay. And there's the there's the map screen where you put, or the, sorry, the map layer where you put your map. And there's a token layer where you put all of the tokens, like the, the, the character tokens, the enemy tokens and all that kind of stuff. And the token layer is where you do most of your interacting. The GM also has access to a third layer called the GM layer, which is where the GM can put tokens so that they don't show up to the players he can uh use the various tools to write notes about like hey when they enter into this room there's a trap that needs to go off or you can mark down the location of traps and all that kind of stuff but um there's uh roll 20 has a pretty great API that's built into into the uh, the virtual tabletop and one of the scripts that i'm using if you place tokens on the gm layer and you name them a specific way when a player like say, so say you've got a, a token named teleport a1 teleport a2 when a player steps on to a uh, or when they move their token and they happen to stop on top of that token that token that's on the gm layer it'll teleport them to the other token so what i've done is i've set this up in the in the uh on the map for the the wizard's tower where if they step on one of these teleport pads, they come out the other end. And it's I've set it up with as a chain. So like you step on uh you step on the portal, you go to the next one. If you step back onto the port if you step on and then back off, you end up on the next teleport pad in the chain. And so you if you're going through the chain, you'll stay on that floor, but if you find the teleport pad that takes you to the next level, then you're on the next level. And what's kind of really great about this is that I'm also using the um, uh, dynamic lighting because I'm paying for a roll 20 subscription. So the players control their own tokens and the tokens eat like, quote unquote, emit light. So they can only see on the map what their characters can see. And it makes it really easy to uh, like in a dungeon like this. I don't have hundreds of floors, but it makes it easy to say like, Hey, if you can't see somebody, then you can't talk to them. So if somebody steps on, like finds the teleport pad that goes to the next floor and then steps on it and goes to the next floor without going and finding everybody and telling them what he's about to do, then that person is stuck on the next floor. So it's uh, there. They've cleared the first floor. They're starting to explore the second floor. Um, So I'm, really looking forward to to them getting through the rest of this and getting to the uh to the end of this dungeon and uh and it's I think this is the first time that I've really been excited about what roll twenty can do and there's a there's a couple of other things that I've found that are kind of neat like um I found a script that lets the druid do the do her wild shape and it'll change her token on the in the virtual tabletop and she's like i've given her access to like i've made copies of the uh, monster manual entries for all of the things that she can wild shape into um and being like uh, using some of the api stuff it so that she can you know uh use a macro that gives her a, a menu in the chat so that she can do all of her wild shaping and being able to make it so that the the barbarians can basically just click something on their token and it turns on rage and it takes that into into account when it's doing all the attacks and damage calculations like all of that stuff has been just kind of for me in the neat column like oh this is you know this is neat like i it makes my life a little bit easier but this thing with the awesome Thanks. <laughs> um, this thing with the the teleporters, this is the first time that I've really been excited for the party to get into a dungeon because there's the, the interplay of the teleporter and the dynamic lighting and them having to be more aware of who they can, who and what they can see, because it's dark in here. And if they don't have a torch or they don't have dark vision, then they can't see anything. Then it, it's kind of all come together to make roll 20. Like it's really kind of to me showcasing how awesome it can be to use a virtual tabletop like roll 20.
1: Right, so it, it, uh, kind of, uh, it's made your investment worth it, right? Cause you're paying, is it a monthly subscription or a yearly one?
0: Uh, I think I did the yearly one just because it, it, it you get a little bit of a discount. I think I can't remember. It's been a while. Like I've had the subscription for, I think two years now. And, and We've only really been using it for a year. Like, I've used Roll20 off and on for some other things, but this is the, we're finally starting to use it for this campaign because I think I mentioned a f- few episodes ago that
1: players are kind of scattered
0: yeah one of my two of my players have moved into the interior so roll 20 is kind of the only way that we can keep playing as a group and i very much want to keep playing as a group because i have put too much effort into this campaign for, <laughs> for us to not see the end of it
1: yeah well it's it's really cool that you're kind of you know finally fully utilizing the services and the options it offers and i mean you're you're the perfect person to use something where there's like additional scripts you can find and stuff like that because you know how to do that kind of stuff
0: yeah and i've actually there's one or two things that i'm thinking of writing a script myself because it's just if if you know any javascript at all then um you can create uh scripts that do various things from uh like i've I've created some stuff that helps me um, like I can click a macro button and now I get a passive. uh, What's what's great is I get a passive perception from everybody. Like I don't have to go into each everybody's character sheets and see what their passive perception is. I click a thing and it whispers to me, the DM, what their passive and active perception is. So it means that instead of having to ask somebody what their perception role is, I can say, oh, they say like, oh, I'm going to take a look around and I just click a thing. I get what their perception is and they don't know. So it kind of fixes the problem of I'm going to roll perception. I rolled a two. I must be missing something.
1: (laughs) Uh, this is unrelated to your game, but I want to tell you something that will be interesting. Uh, so while we were talking, I looked up how many books came out in three and 3.5 since, uh, 3.5 came out like only three years after third came out. There were about a hundred.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So that includes, there's about 12 core rule books. There's, I think, four starter sets, which, I mean, we could ignore. But there's something like 60 or 70 supplement books. Okay. And I don't think that's including adventures. That is
0: too many books.
1: Yeah, this is way too many books. Too many books for me, anyway. I couldn't afford it. I mean, I think also they were probably a bit cheaper because this was like early to mid 2000s but still that is a
0: lot of books
1: it's a lot of books i mean you don't need them all but like that that's where like the point i was making about it becoming hard to keep track of everything really comes in yeah because like i think there is an entire book where was it uh, there's an entire book called sword and fist which i think is just it's just supplemental information for fighter and monks
0: okay <laughs> that's pretty nuts
1: yeah it's a lot right Anyway, so uh, it's really cool that you're using Roll Twenty uh, so effectively now, because uh, I know you were a bit lukewarm on it initially,
0: right? Yeah, I was pretty lukewarm, just because the one thing about Roll Twenty is that it does it does require more prep. Uh, well, actually, mm. it's not that it requires more prep; it's just that to get the same result, you have to do more work, because when you're when you're playing around a table. Like, what I found when we were playing at the table and using a battle mat is, like, for me to prep an encounter or a dungeon, like, I could sketch something out on graph paper, go onto to Cobalt Fight Club, figure out a couple of encounters, a couple of, you know, monster groups, and then using a couple of printouts that I've got, including um, small printed out monster cards, I could throw together an encounter in you know, 15, 20 minutes, like it didn't take very long. But yeah. now with Roll20, and this is just a quirk of my psyche, I think, is that because I can use nice images and create nice looking maps, I feel like I have to.
1: Yeah, that does sound very much like, like you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I find I, I spend time using, I've been using a tool online called Pyromancers to create nice looking maps, Um, but it does require more work and uh, if i can i will try to cheat and find already created maps online that i can use Um, but the times where that works out and i can just use something that i find online uh, they don't always work out and i end up having to create a map anyways so it does require a little bit more work and like for example with the the druid getting the wild shape thing working required not only creating copies of the monsters from the monster manual, but also creating NPC character sheets in roll 20 for all of the monsters that I gave her access to from the Tome of Beasts. Mm. So there was, you know, instead of being able to just like hand over a book and get her to copy out the, the stats and any, you know, any special attacks or anything like that, I've got to actually sit down and, Create these things, and so it it requires more work in some ways, but when it comes together, like with this Wizard's Tower, it's pretty fantastic.
1: Man, I'm looking at Pyromancer's right now, and it looks like it makes some pretty nice maps.
0: The thing that I like about it is that like it's pretty easy to quickly get to good enough. If it's a map that you're you know that you're not going to have a long drawn out fight on, or they're going to be exploring, like if you just need to quickly create a clearing in a forest. Or uh, like a quick tavern or something. It's it's great. Nice. And it's got tools that let you dive in if you want to create a more in depth dungeon with chairs and tables and things on the tables and all that kind of stuff. It's been pretty indispensable.
1: Nice. Yeah. Oh right. I have another game I'm involved in, which I I, I mentioned briefly, but I want to talk about for another minute quickly. So I'm in a Eberron horror game uh, run by. Uh, Our friend molly and um so one of the really neat things about playing in a game where your dm is also an artist is you occasionally get pictures of the npcs or your characters or things that happen uh which has been really neat we've only had a handful of sessions but like you know she's drawn the party she's drawn the main quest giver she's drawn a few other people it's it's really cool to like you know have a session and then a couple of weeks like down or like a week down the road, or a couple of days, or maybe a couple of weeks if she's busy or they're busy. You know, you get a, a picture that's yeah, this is the Warforged you talk to, or this is the the two people who ran the inn you talk to. It's uh, I, I'm enjoying it a lot.
0: That is pretty awesome.
1: And the game itself is also great. Like uh, Haley and I are playing a married couple. Uh, we've, there's, there are four players right now, but mostly it's only been three of us. Cause one of them has had some scheduling conflicts, which, you know, we're adults It happens, Yeah. <laughs> but it's essentially like our two characters are essentially the moms to this new, this, this younger character who's also in the party, who's just kind of showed up and we've essentially been like, okay, yeah, we're going to take care of you, sweet child. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a good time. Not a lot of the horror stuff is kicked in. It's starting to ramp up. It's starting to ramp up. But like, so it's it's also being a nice slow build. That sounds pretty cool. I'm enjoying it a lot. It's a, it's a good game. <laughs> I'm having a good time.
0: Well, we're reaching the, the hour mark. I think this is a good place to, to wrap up.
1: Yeah, I think we've gone through the entire list within an hour, which actually for us is pretty good. <laughs> Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros.
0: Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin MacLeod.
1: Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and uh, various other podcatchers. Uh, if you like the show, please leave us a, a review and uh, tell your friends about it.
0: And if you want to help support the show, we do have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash DMs of Vancouver. Uh, for just a couple bucks a month, you get access to episodes uh, a week early. And we're also trying to use all the put all the money towards making this podcast as awesome as possible, either by getting new equipment or uh, potentially going to fun conventions and doing even more uh, awesome interviews.
1: Yeah. You can also find us on Twitter, either at DMs of Vancouver for the podcast, or you can find myself at Jesse the red or Sean at Sean P Hagen.
0: I think that's it. Yeah.
1: Bye. Bye.